Futurized goes beneath the trends to track the underlying forces of disruption in tech, policy, business models, social dynamics, and the environment. I'm your host, Trun Arne Unheim, futurist and author. In episode 39 of the podcast, the topic is the future of flux. Our guest is Sid Mohaseb, author, investor, professor, and known as the entrepreneur philosopher. In this conversation, we talk about the future of flux, entrepreneurial philosophy, personalizing your journey, listening to the guru near you. Evolve like a caterpillar again and again. Quick word from our sponsor. Do you have business challenges where you would like high quality external input from experts? Yegi is an insight network with access to on-demand teams made up of select talent from thousands of experts. Check out Yegi at archives.yegi.com. That's Y-E-G-I-I. Sid, how are you today? I am excellent. Thank you for uh, having me on your show here. Yeah, it's a great pleasure. Sid, so we had a quick chat before. I know a little bit about you, but I'm very curious about the rest. You know, what you can tell from LinkedIn and other sources is that um, you emigrated from uh, Iran a long time ago. You've lived in the United States now for a, a good amount of years. You have become an entrepreneur. You are also an investor, but you are known as the entrepreneur philosopher. And I know that maybe partly because you are also a professor at USC, but I'm uh, really curious. And you're, of course, a, a book author, and I've read one of your books, uh, which is out already, The Caterpillar's Edge. But I wanted to ask you this, Sid. You've done a lot of things in your career, and you have this expat experience, which I'm sure has shaped you in, in lots of ways as well. What would you attribute kind of the deepest insights that you are now bringing to the table as an entrepreneur philosopher? Where, where did all of those insights and the strategies you use to kind of interpret reality, where, where would you say that grew from in your background? Well, I guess the story behind the story, if you would, I, I allude to it in, in some places where they, they've asked me, but um, I, have, uh, I have hemophilia, which is a, which is a blood disease. Uh, that is, um, uh, the blood is, you know, for lack of a better way of explaining it, it's got, its viscosity is lower. There's one of the factors in the blood that doesn't exist. So if I get a cut or internally, it continues to bleed. It's a genetic disease. Um, so, uh, I was a pretty good student in Iran and, but very limited in my activities, right? About 15 years old, I had an episode of a stomach ache that took me to the hospital. And as I was sitting in the hospital bed, I started reading newspapers and stuff. And for some reason, and I can't tell you why I came to the conclusion that I've got to come to the United States. And my mom and dad were uh, profusely, I, I mean, I can't use the words enough that how strongly they were, they were against this idea. You know, this was before there was a revolution in Iran and all of that. It was all hunky-dory. Everything was fine. And, uh, and I was a good student. I could have gone to a pretty good school. And, you know, so, uh, but I pressed and they disagreed. And uh, finally, after a while, 
uh, I gone, I, I, I got acceptance to school myself without telling them and all that sort of stuff. Just, and I said, oh, well, I'll convince them somehow. Uh, and towards, uh, uh, after a while, I went to my uh, great uncle, uh, you know, in families from Middle East or, or Italy or those places, this great uncle and, you know, grandfather figure is a, uh, you know, kind of a, uh, you know, kind of a decision maker at, at the end. So I went to him and I used an analogy that my father, my grandfather had used for my father when they came from a small town in Iran to Tehran, which is the capital. When my father asked my grandfather, why are we going to Tehran? Uh, my grandfather said, in small, in small water, small fish will grow. In big water, big fish will grow. So I went to my uncle and I said, you know, he said, why do you want to go? I said, in small water. He said, shut up. I got it. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, but, but that's kind of the mentality of, but what I've learned is that it's really not the size of the ocean external to you that makes the difference. It's really who you are uh, that, that makes the difference. Obviously, there's plenty of opportunities uh, outside, but unless you have that ocean within you, uh, then then you're not going to be able to explore all the dimensions and offerings that's external to you. But I think that early stage, that kind of thinking, uh, plus this thing that that my 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 disease was kind of a forceful thing that say I can push through things. It's okay. Um, I have to build things. I have to build the future, and I shouldn't be limited with. Uh, certain, uh, you know, capability um, issues. Well, I mean, that's uh, those are deep insights. I especially kind of enjoyed what you said there about, you know, your um, family, uh, you know, worked for you and against you in, in various ways. But at the end of the day, it's not as simple as that proverb, right? It's, it's just not as simple as, you know, get to a bigger ocean and you'll grow to a, a bigger fish. So I guess... That's kind of the aspect of, of entrepreneurship and growth that I wanted to mine a little bit together with you because personalizing your journey, it all sounds wonderful and it kind of fits the self-help repertoire and, and, and uh, the way that these kinds of things are talked about in the U.S. But indeed, you know, as many of us have, have realized and experienced, the American dream isn't as rosy and as easy as you maybe as it once was told to us when we were preparing, perhaps, and, and when you get to the United States, it's, uh, it's of course, difficult to, uh, to emerge, whether to, to become a big fish or, or even just to kind of thrive yeah. here. Some of the other things that you wanted to, ch to talk to me about, you uh, have brought up this issue of flux, Explain to me what, what flux is. Flux is, is this uh, idea that the world, everything that we, we, we live around, and this kind of goes back to why some people call me the philosopher <laughs> or whatever, but uh, it, it, it is, uh, you know, Plato says, as, as you know, the, the big philosopher says that, we must distinguish with, uh, with, with that which always is and never becomes and that which is always becoming and never is. That is, certain things are always becoming. Always. The world that we live in is always becoming. 
is always changing, uh, be it from our personal lives, be it from business, be it from politics, be it from uh, even the growth of, uh, of the nature and the change of the nature. All of the things that we are, we're working on is always in a state of flux. Uh, and I think that's a good thing because it is only when you have change that you have choices. Without change, there would never ever be a choice because everything is the same. And if there is no choice, there's no tomorrow, there's no aspiration, there's no, I mean, people look at change, oh, change is bad. Now we're all going in this pandemic stuff. Boom, let's go back to the normal. Let's go back. The normal is not where the opportunity is, it's where the abnormal uh, exists. It's where change is. It's where, uh, I mean, change for the sake of change is not a good thing, obviously. Change, uh, in, even in the context of some people say failure, you know, fail fast in the arm. Failing fast or failing is not a good thing. If you have a, all good intentions to do something and you fail, it's okay if you learn and you go back. But the intention of I'm going to fail is not a good thing. So change with a positive outcome in mind, with a, with a purposeful curiosity to it, is a really good thing. Uh, and that's the state of flux, which we're already, which we're always in. And, but that, that is more of a philosophical construct for you. And it's independent of, because, you know, people want to attribute all of these things to things they see around themselves. And, and, you know, I'm sure you and I are not immune to that either right now. It's COVID is kind of the all encompassing reality for, for many of us. And we attribute an enormous amount of stuff to that phenomenon as if it one will never change right it becomes like this big thing that we think is, is is changing everything and at the same time it will never change it's like a strange sort of uh, motif that leads us to make all kinds of judgments about our own life and about what will change all around us and it's it's difficult right now to keep i guess things in perspective right Sid? how have you experienced this time personally uh well for me, it's actually been uh, pretty interesting. And sometimes I hate to say it because people would say, you know, a lot of people are suffering with jobs and, and all of that. And why is it, you know, why are you having this ridiculous positive attitude about things? It's kind of silly. Uh, by the way, I'm more of a realist than just the positive, hey, let's, everything is rosy. But I'm, I'm, my feeling is that if you have the, if you appreciate reality, of what is, then that's where you can unfold uh, opportunities in it. If you don't appreciate reality and you're trying to be just simply positive, uh, then things get lost and you're pursuing a dream as opposed to, uh, uh, you know, a, a line of uh, a path forward. Now, for me, things haven't been, you know, as bad. I, I, I do uh, advise or invest in a lot of companies. So it's been exciting for me to work with them to uh, kind of redirect and reach, you know, change and focus. And, and uh, thank God, they're all actually doing better than they were before COVID, which is an amazing, you know, to me, uh, you know, they were all, oh, what are we going to do? And they're actually all doing better. Uh, because a crisis provides you with a certain level of focus that you don't have beforehand. Because you, you're faced with this decision of balancing risk and an outcome. If you don't risk, you will not get any outcome. It's done. You're, you're, you're done. 
So you are willing to take a different level of risk. You're willing to accept certain things. So if you really look at this as here's a crisis, I must rise up. I must be the leader that I must be. And some somebody in the organization usually does. It's either the entrepreneur or, uh, or the wife or the husband or, or somebody in accounting or somebody says, okay, we got to rise up. And if you have that leadership of rising up and you create the focus and you balance the risk and return, then you're able to do better than we were. But if we hold and say, you know, let's wait until normal comes back. That's where the problem is. And that's a very, it's not necessarily philosophical. It's just basically the fact of and life. And it's not related to whether normal does come back or not. I mean, normal may or may not come no. back, but it's not, that's not the issue. The issue is you cannot stop moving in anticipation of some future that may or may not arise. May or not. And, and the thing is that I guarantee you the normal that you're used to is no, no, is no longer that normal. I, I'll guarantee you one other thing. I guarantee you that 20 years ago, what you defined as normal would not have been the same normal as now, except that change happened gradually. You didn't see it. COVID just forced us to see this change massively. It's, it's just a different world. But slowly go back to where we had uh, you know, fax machines and, and you know, a lot of people would not remember it. Uh, or you know, we would write a letter and it would take a number of days to get to the other party. We would think about that letter, edit it, blah, 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 no, a text and boom, it's done. It's, so a lot of things have changed around us, except we have slowly went into it. What COVID did, and I joke around and say COVID is not, you know, our world is pregnant with tremendous opportunities and challenges, but, but COVID is not the fault. Yeah. COVID was just an accelerator. Yeah. But, but to that point though, Sid, it also means to, to what I was trying to say earlier here that right now it seems like change is all around us. And it's very easy if you're not used Correct. to analyzing change, you will either ignore this COVID thing, like in the US, there are all these COVID deniers, or you will say, this is the massive event, event of our lifetime. And not only that, every variable will change. And that's perhaps also not true, right? You Correct. know, because you, you can't just Correct. say, now there's COVID, so nothing is the same. But human nature and you know, the, the instinct of kind of going back to some of the habits we had when they become possible again. Of course, none of those have gone away, right? It's just they may That's or right. may not be possible to continue, you know, in the same way that they were before. However, if they do become possible again, then everything is up for grabs, right? I mean, it's not a given yeah. Yeah. that just because some things have changed that everything will change. Yes, that that is true. See, this this idea of you know, it's either you know, life is 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 lived in the gray. It's not lived in the black or the white. Uh, it is not that the world has changed and everything has changed and so forth. Uh, or well, this too shall pass. Let's just hunker down and anchor over here, and it's it's uh, it's, it's just a you know breeze coming over us. Uh, what my point is that this is. Change has always been around us. This has just exposed it. Right. Uh, and it feels scary because it's exposed. It is, it, is a, it is something that's exposed that we're not... It, before, it was slowly being done. Now, this all of a sudden exposed everything. 
We couldn't go to the restaurants. We couldn't do this. We were, we were, we were jam-packed. So our, our mind had to deal with so many variables in so many aspects. It wasn't a slow, gradual thing that unfolds. It's like you don't see your kids. I, if I am your friend and I come and visit you today, I come and see your, your, your kids a year from now, I'll say, boy, run, your kids have grown up. But you don't see sure. it every day because it happens gradually. It's between, before your eyes and it's happening and you don't see it. You may see a picture after two years and say, boy, look at this. So that, this thing has just exposed us to, uh, to, to change. It's not that it has created anything that is, yes, it has put limitations on our movement. It has put limitations, it has perhaps for some folks, it has, um, it, it has gotten us to be uh, more acceptable of our mortality, that <laughs> something invisible. Uh, for some people, uh, you know, they've appreciated their, their friends and family a little more. So those are true. If we can keep those dimensions with us, that's wonderful. Yeah, but I guess the question yeah. is, will we though? And and some people, of course, will, because this is a profound yeah. moment, and and those who rise to it, right? I mean, uh, they they will change for yeah. the better. Yeah. So your 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 question is at the core uh, of of a lot of things that would happen to us, because I know your 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 show is about the future. So the question is, will we? Will we recognize, for example, all of this COVID stuff has, uh, has, has pushed us to break some resistance lines. What are these resistance lines? Uh, a 90-year-old ordering stuff online. We're okay to go on telehealth and talk to our doctors. Some of us are not still not okay, but that's the trend. It's going to yeah. get there. And we've broken these resistance lines on a lot, a lot, a lot of different fronts. Right. Lot, I mean, the simplest things that uh, my wife and I really loved is we wouldn't eat outside like the Europeans would. Now everybody is outside having, you know, and this is wonderful. This is, this is a great thing, which is different than what it was before. So we've changed in a lot of different ways in a lot of things that, that we're doing. Now, all of these artificial intelligence and automation and stuff like that, that's been going on for, and you've read my book. I, I said that three or four years ago, that things are going to be different. They're changing. And the question is this, did we, when we, when we invented a knife as human beings, was that random or did we choose that, hey, we should have this so that it's our eating habits would be easier and it, uh, did it impact our evolution in some way? Yeah, we, we, you know, our teeth didn't evolve as much because we had some other means of eating. So, all of these AI stuff, all of this technology that we've built, we have done it by choice. This is, this is first. We, it didn't randomly happen to us. We've done it by choice. We have chosen that it doesn't make sense for us to spend our time on mundane things that are taxing our brain somehow. The automated stuff in the factory, the you know, all that sort of stuff. Now, is it some technology is going wrong or right or being used? You know, of course, some people use a knife to kill people. That doesn't mean that the intent of the knife was bad. Yeah. So, the technology is 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 pushing us. The question is, what do we do? As you said, at this point, what choices do we make? Do we see that the future is our path to evolving into being more creative, more innovative, 
more something different or are we pulling back and pushing uh, you know and, and want to go back to that world where uh, you know we're working in a factory 18 hours a day and bringing two thousand seven five cents an hour back is, is that what we want i don't think so and i think that all of these innovations that we're doing is proof to that is there a way that we might be going back to some of those things or are we incessantly moving forwards? Because clearly everyone is not moving at the same pace. And many types of change goes sort of in, in waves. And you, well, at least uh, in the proverb, the proverbial way you take one step ahead and you go, uh, you know, or two steps ahead and one step back. Or, you know, there's many ways in many cultures to, to talk about change. Uh, uh, so the, 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 the reality of it, if you look at all stuff, it is true that, that the path to change or to destination is never a straight line. It's always a crisscrossing because you have different psychological platforms, you have different movements. For example, with all this COVID stuff, we have these, uh, uh, you know, um, whatever you want to call it, government-centric, uh, uh, nation-centric behaviors, because we're all now saying, the Europeans are saying, the Italians are saying, oh, where is mine? And the Chinese are doing that, and we're going to our corner. So, uh, and, and, and there is this uh, sense of, hey, this is my country. I have to protect it. This is mine. That is yours. Yeah. So all of that is, is natural stuff that happens when major you know, major stuff happens in our life. Would those change our behaviors? Of course, they will change our behaviors. We would have some folks that would want to go back. And if the number of those people over, you know, is, is, is more than the people who then want to go Then we will go back. back. Yeah. Uh, then we will go back. So the, the, the key is this choice. That's, that's what I wanted. It is, it is our choices and it is our conse- the consequences of those choices that evolve us. And that is exactly the whole idea of entrepreneurship philosophy. I'm so glad we, we got to that point because, well, first off, I think we are living in a somewhat entrepreneurial moment. But on the other, on the other hand, like you pretty clearly spell, spell out here, there is nothing indicating that the, the iteration out of COVID is necessarily morally or technologically better for for every nation state and society right i mean it seems like in the us right now there's a there's a massive choice to be had whether the slowing of globalization which we have sort of seen over the past few months will turn into active policy that becomes mm-hmm. part of the social norm which then redirects economic activity and 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 truly makes the US a more inward nation for for you know years to come or whether this was just a blip and a fear um, reaction and the kind of internationalist globalist kind of influences that are you know in all honesty much more prevalent uh, that they are uh, basically let let loose again what is what is your best prediction you know and just in this particular case given that you must spend, I mean, you, you, you are living like uh, I am in the U.S. Uh, do you think that just on this one axis, nationalist uh, kind of economy versus open global economy, are we looking at a very, very temporary uh, blip here, like a few years, uh, you know, a couple of 
administrations at worst, uh, you know, perhaps one more administration? Or is this a much longer trend towards a inward focus? I think uh, we collectively, as, as Americans, have a desire to, uh, to, to be leaders, to, to, to conquer, to, to be uh, competitive, to be ahead. And I think uh, the minute that uh, the collective conscious of ours will see that these behaviors are not going to get right. us there, we would have, we would have uh, oops. But then is that oops too late? because others have jumped in and, uh, and filled in the gap, that's the danger. Uh, would, we, would we at some point in the future and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, that wasn't the path, having this kind of jobs in this environment, putting our head in the sand and saying, we are the best technologists in the world and ignoring everybody else that's doing amazing things uh, is, is not the right thing. At some point now, is that I would I would hope I, I don't think it would be within one administration. I don't it's think it so, would be within. I think it would be so interesting, Sid, because I am I have had a lot of guests on my show lately who are on the path of augmented and uh, you know automated manufacturing. They're they're on the path of basically transforming manufacturing. And and by the way, whether they individually mm -hmm. were on the path or not, manufacturing is being transformed. And what all of that means, of course, Absolutely. is you know, robots will get some of the heavy jobs and some of the bad jobs that nobody wants. And yes, they will also get some of the good jobs. But, but you know, as this thing is kind of moving forward, it's just interesting that sitting there and kind of wishing that none of this is going to happen or trying to slow it down. I guess there is a slight rationale for saying things have moved too fast and slowing it down can enable us to control it. So, I mean, that argument out of all the arguments is actually a pretty decent one. So here's the thing. This is this is, and I have you know some pet peeves that uh, you know that, that that for example, one of them is this change management thing, which is I want to control change. If you want to truly take advantage of it, you have to embrace it, not control it. Controlling it means I have certain addictions and behaviors. I want to take change, fit them in the things that I already am comfortable with. So you take change, you dissect it into pieces, and then you make something out of it that it wasn't intended to be because we're comfortable taking it into our own domain. I get it because people like to control things. We don't like to be. But if you say, I want to embrace it, then you begin to be innovative in terms of, okay, how do I evolve? How do I take advantage of this? And you come up with a new paradigm. Well, see, Sid, this is when I think this really ties into entrepreneurship and innovation, because one of the things that really annoys me when the word innovation even is evoked, right, is people start, some people who even are innovation leaders start putting structure to the concept and pretending that innovation yeah. and entrepreneurship follow certain rules, process rules, rules that we are used to for many, many other fields, even from technologies. Correct. And what many of those people forget is that the very nature of the beast that they're trying to put into a structure is that it defies those structures. And that is what change is. So I think the danger Correct. in thinking that way, and I think we probably agree about this, is that the more structure you put around your controlling of change, the more you risk a very, very big surprise at the at the end of the tunnel, right? You you may be able to Correct. slow it down for you, but you don't control the entire system. 
Correct. And, and what happens is you're controlling it for you. Somebody who's embracing it is evolving with it and becomes the next Google, the next whatever that they become, while we're still trying to manage this. And we do this particularly in our big corporates. Now we've had these innovation labs. Innovation labs are research centers just relabeled. And you know, they're in the fancier space and all that. So, uh, for example, in terms of definition of innovation, I think innovation means finding new value, something that didn't exist before. It doesn't mean that tinkering with the thing that I have and improving it. That we should do every time. That, that is a, that, that's improvement in our operations, in our products and functionalities. That's, a, that, that's the nature of the beast, but it's not innovation. So when we confuse innovation with improvements, we're containing it. And then we have the, all these how-tos, you know, even on the entrepreneurship front, I have a big beef with these how-tos. Do A, B, C, they're mechanically okay. Yes, you have to have a budget. Yes, you have to have a vision. Yes, you have to have all of those, but doesn't make you an entrepreneur. And frankly, I always say we are all entrepreneurs already because the way I define it is the pursuit of happiness. It's where you have a resource, you have something. You... You try to exchange this with something of higher value, knowing that there is a risk. Yeah. There is a risk. And that's your entrepreneur. You're pursuing a better place, a happiness. So right? that is interesting. So for you, entrepreneurship is pursuing happiness. It's nothing to do per se with, with money. Or is money and happiness very intrinsically related in your, in your mind? M- in, in, in our society, it has become, uh, you know, if I have money, I have a lot of, uh, a lot of things. I have better health care. I mean, just Well, you have uh, good reasons to be I happy, am right? There are studies showing that you Correct. aren't always happy, but you, you should be. <laughs> like you objectively Correct. should be. Correct. Having money doesn't make, you, doesn't make you happy, but not having it definitely will impact your happiness sure. negatively. Because, uh, you know, obvious. But Sid. When we talk about these things, and because they are hard to grasp, we turn to metaphors. You yourself have turned to a metaphor. Can you expand that a little for me? Because I did read through your book, The Caterpillar's Edge, and I have thought about Mm -hmm. caterpillars enough, and I've seen caterpillars on TV. I've seen them in my garden. I, I know a little bit about caterpillars, but I find that it's really, really tricky to fully understand a metaphor like that and then apply it to your own life. Can you, can you try to deepen this sure. for me? So, Why should sure, I think sure, of myself sure. as a caterpillar in, in, you know, in light of this discussion about truly embracing change? What does it mean? Yeah. So, so let me step back a couple of steps. My fundamental belief is that we are all different we have the talent of entrepreneurship. We have the talent to be pursuing. We choose our paths. There are certain things that you would do to get there. The problem that, that I'm trying to solve with metaphors is to avoid a how-to because a how-to ignores who you are. I want to make sure that because nobody knows what to do and how to do it better than you. If you look at all great entrepreneurs or all great leaders or all great successful people, or whatever field you want, the painters or the, uh, or the government leaders or the nations or the, or the good ones or the bad ones, whatever, they are unique to themselves. They have their own philosophy, how they operate. Steve Jobs is 
absolutely not equal to uh, Bill Gates. They're not equal to Warren Buffett. They're not equal to Jeff Bezos. They're not equal to any one of them. You know, Ronald Reagan, a lot of people love him, but he's not, no, I mean, he's not exactly the same as Bill Gates. I mean, uh, Bill Clinton, who a lot of people love. <laughs> so they're both leaders. So here's the thing. The idea of metaphor for me is to intrigue you to access your internal ability to see things. So here's what I mean by the caterpillar's edge. The caterpillar does not wake up one morning and say, I am a butterfly. It takes time. The process is gooey. It's messy. It's dangerous. It has 4,000 muscles when you and I have about 600 muscles. It goes through all of that and changes. It's become some species that is entirely different than what it was before. So if we want to evolve, if we want to grow as a person, we have to do it over time. It happens slowly. It's not like one night I become wealthy and the whole world is wonderful because those things then helps you avoid things like the more I fail, the better I am. That doesn't make sense. Uh, the, the idea that I, I, I'm going to, uh, you know, being an entrepreneur means being a, you know, shyster and, and selling snake oil. That, that doesn't, it's not an overnight process. To be better, you have to work at it. Now, how you do it, every caterpillar defines how he does it himself or herself. They define it themselves. But there was another nugget that I thought you would uh, perhaps uh, kindly expand on for me because we talked uh, partly because I always ask people on my show, how do you stay up to date and how do you learn things? And, and, and typically, you know, my instinct with asking that is, you know, I'm, I'm trying to provide a guide for people about how to prepare for the next decade and, and beyond. So I want to be useful. And, and personally, that's kind of my quest as well. You know, how do you, how do you learn things? How do you become kind of the, my, my sort of quest is to help people become the polymaths. I think we really need to be respecting expertise, but connecting the dots and all of the good things you're talking about. But in this conversation we had a few weeks back, you told me something about seeking gurus because, and we have touched about this, you know, we, we touched upon famous people, right? It's very easy. Like right now, I'm like many people, I'm very fascinated with uh, Elon Musk. And I was watching his sure. demo last week, you know, for Neuralink. And while it wasn't quite the mother of all demos, it, it may have been the brother of a much bigger demo or a precursor, right? So it, anyway, you know, there are big things that he is embarking on and it's very inspiring. And it's easy then to sort of start trying to emanate what I think it would mean to live like Elon Musk. But on the other hand, yeah. you told me that listening to the guru near you is much more important than listening to the great guru that someone has put on a pedestal and who is this world authority, authority that is far away from you. Explain what you mean by that. So we all have different origins and uh, we have different capabilities. We come from different places. We have different abilities. So I don't believe that I could ever be Elon Musk or even get close to what he is. He is who he is because of all of the collection of his experiences. Now, those experiences came from 
nuggets of things that he has done in, in his life, what we call generally experience, which is data, which is we experience is just a collection of data filtered through our minds. And we say this is experience. Now, as we're gaining this or he's gained this, he's put it through his filter and interpretation of what that means. And because he is very clear, that's why he is who he is. Now, I believe that we, we should, you know, the Indians have, have a word called upguru. That means the guru that is here with me right now, right? So if you and I are talking, you are now my guru because you may say something that would trigger something in my mind. I can learn from you. And if we expand that, the clerk at the, at the bank or the, uh, or, or, or the sandwich place, the, the, the Uber driver, the, uh, even you know, your, your, your professor, your boss, your wife, your cousin, uh, I, I even joke around and say a bumper sticker on a car in front of you could be the guru that you could learn something because it triggers something in your mind which fits with the rest of the collection of the data that you have gained from other places and it may be the glue that hooks them up together. That is exactly when you talk to a lot of uh, you know, big innovators, the Einsteins and the Edisons, they say, oh, it triggers at one second. It triggers at one second because you were prepared to listen at that So one. you have to be in some way awake every moment of your life in order to have those Correct. moments of great insight. You, you can't just walk around Correct. sleeping and, and assuming that I'm on a break, I'm soon going to meet some important people or read an important book, but right now I'm on a complete break and I'm not even going to look around and you know, I'm in a boring cab you know, and nothing's going to happen Correct. here. Correct. So here's the thing. People talk about this mindfulness. You know, it's now the, the thing and there's lots of books and lots of places and it's all about, oh, let's be aware of your environment and let's meditate. And I completely disagree with that. I think you have to have actual mindfulness. If you're sitting in a, in a vacuum, what you can, what you could see or interact with is limited. If you go out there and you experience the change, you embrace the change and you're aware of that change, not as an observer, but as a participant, then your mindfulness is actuated. You are able to turn that into something tangible. As opposed to saying, I feel good today. You know, I had a meditation for 10 minutes or two hours or whatever it is. And I'm aware of my situation. Awareness is just not sufficient. The action that goes with that awareness, the learning that goes with that awareness is essentially what, what needs to be there in order for you to, to make progress. So this brings us to this uncomfortable question of whether all learning is related to pain. And you have been alluding to it a little bit because you started <laughs> with your hemophilia and we talked about caterpillars and you pointed out that we don't have four to 600 muscles. There's 4,000 or what you said, it's thousands of muscles. This evidently must yeah. be painful, presuming that the caterpillar you know, f feels pain. But let's just stick with that for the moment. Change in two of your, well, in, in your own life and in your own metaphor is related to pain and illness. And if you look at creative people throughout history, many, if not most of them, I would say collectively have experienced some sort of pain that is significant, um, lasting, maybe surprising, and, um, and then they have reflected on that, but it's clearly more. How 
should you then think around that aspect? Let's just say that pain is related that's, to it in some way. That's that's an excellent Should you question. seek pain I or think, is it when you do experience it, you just need to say, this is my moment? Yes. So uh, it's, it's, I, I would say you should not seek pain. Uh, that's just like seeking failure. And and thinking that if I fail fast, I you know I, I, then you're, you're I, I will, using it as a technique, which you're losing correct. the the point. Uh, the, correct. Uh, if I if I may redefine pain and illness a little bit, pain and illness is a problem identified. A problem identified. So if we are in an organization and it doesn't work. It's pain. So if you take good leaders, they see that problem, they find that problem, it is painful to that organization, and they go after dealing with it. Those who become uh, familiar enough, if you would, or tolerant enough of the pain that they're in, in an organization, in a situation, in a relationship, in whatever you want to get it, and they stay there, and they think that is the normal, that is the way it should be. No. It shouldn't be. I should not have the pain that I have. Now, I may use that. I may, I, I, I may put it in a different way to find a better path. To find a better path. But the pain, if you would, or the illness is recognition of a problem, finding a problem. And I can do that in an organization. I could do it in my life. I could do it as opposed to saying, you know, Everybody is not doing well in the pandemic. So all businesses are not doing well. Therefore, I belong to all businesses. This is not a pain. As opposed to, hey, my family needs to be fed. <laughs> that is a pain. So I'm going to find a way around this assumption of sameness and get Well, past. so now you're pointing to focus because just the fact that we are all experiencing a, a, a pandemic doesn't mean that we're all efficient. And just the, the fact that we're all exposed Correct. to, let's just say, for instance, right, there's one proof point. Uh, well, uh, it seems pretty reasonable that if you're out of shape, you're not helping yourself for the pandemic. Does that mean that I have Correct. seen more people even just walk on the streets? Yes, I've seen some more people walk on the streets. Have I seen more yeah. people in intense exercise than I see before? I don't think I have seen that. So people don't necessarily, there's not a one-to-one -one correlation between the situation you're experiencing and, and kind of the, the action that would sort of flow from it. And, but, but how did, so let's just say that you are able to identify pain broadly and you're able to start learning how do you distinguish the people who then are able to stay focused on a problem enough to make a leap versus getting so excited about the process that you kind of jump from problem to problem and never really go deep enough because that's also the change this is, this conundrum isn't it you have to go deep enough correct correct Correct. But, but you have to also be careful. You know, everybody says, focus, focus, focus. And I've said this to many entrepreneurs many, many times. Uh, but the problem is that you have to focus at the right time on the right thing. 
It's not just a matter. It's not just that you focus. It's to, what do you focus sure. on? I use the example of there are two, um, two boxers in the ring and the coach has said, be careful of the right hook, be careful of the right hook. And the other party, the other boxer is always focused on the right hook. As he's focused on the right hook, he's vulnerable to the left. So yes, focus is important, but blind focus in order to accomplish and going too deep, it's, mm. it's not. Is, is ignoring the reality of the flux again. So, yes, the pain creates focus, but the pain, you need to have enough focus, but at least at, at the same time, enough visibility that not to see this pain as the pain that is going to consume you for the rest of your life. Yes, there is a pandemic. Yes, there is an issue, but this is not the biggest issue of the face of the earth. If your son was sick, that would have been a bigger issue. If your wife would get into an accident, that would have been a bigger issue. If you didn't have feet to get yourself fed, that would have been a bigger issue. Okay, yes, 26 million people have died in the world. I get it. It's a big deal. But there are bigger deals at all the time. And taking that and having it overshadow your entire life is not focus is, uh, you know, uh, foolish, uh, uh, you know, uh, foolishness in a way. Interesting. This concept of flux is interesting. You know, you even have it from back to the future, the flux capacitor. It's related to, <laughs> <laughs> to, changing, uh, to changing time, even. Yes. Yeah. So, so one thing that I wanted to mention, which, which we changed topic was this idea of the entrepreneurial philosophy or what I call personal entrepreneurial yeah. philosophy. So if entrepreneurship is the pursuit of happiness or it's the change and I could, you know, and my, I'm having a new book coming in, 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 in a little bit uh, that if you have, if you have a resource or anything that you have, doesn't matter what it is. Even if you are a mother that cooks for your child and you go out and you spend your money earned and hardly earned and you make a dish that you think your son or your daughter loves, that is taking some resource and you're taking a risk that your son didn't eat anything outside or would like this thing. So it's, it's a risk. So all of those entrepreneurship is this exchange. It's, this, it's taking something of certain value, exchanging it to something else. Now, philosophy is the love of wisdom. If you go philo and see, if you, if you split the word, it means the love of wisdom, the love of knowledge. So a personal entrepreneurial philosophy is the ability to seek new knowledge gain new abilities, love your, your own philosophy, love your own wisdom, to learn how to pursue happiness, how to change something. And you do it differently than I do. Hmm. Your definition of your happiness may be different than my happiness. The way you accomplish it is different. Now, are there, are there things that influence it? Sure. The way you build your ecosystem, the way you deal with risk, the way you, uh, you build your leadership, the way you, I mean, your mindfulness, we talked about it, the way you uh, ignite your, your curiosity to be able to go out there and find and the way you innovate. All of those are, are influencers in this journey. But you're in charge. That's the, the you know, and how you build your own you know, your, your own uh, sculptor 
is is your your choices and your decisions how you focus how you don't focus how you embrace change or push against it and i think collectively if we look at that from a future perspective collectively we have a choice to embrace this idea that the future is i have faith i think the future is better than today unlike some people say oh it's dangerous the, the machines are going to take over blah 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 well so we've been pushing against this idea of the future as uh as something that you can actually act upon. But where would you say that we are going if we just take the next decade, which is not very far away, right? It's, uh, you know, we are in it. We are in this new decade. Where are we going? Or doesn't it matter kind of like collectively really where we're going? You are more concerned about this personal journey that you feel people need to become more conscious about. Because, I mean, in some sense, right, we, we, are, we may all be marching towards something. And it would perhaps be useful to know which direction we're all marching. But, but you seem to be saying something a lot more subtle, which is it matters a lot more where you are going and what you are thinking about than where the world and where the rest of us are, are going. In, in a sense, you, you kind of have to f- find your own tune. So uh, let, let me build on your, uh, on your old tune idea, use another metaphor. In an orchestra, every note of every instrument matters. Right. It counts. Now, collectively, I believe that we are going in a direction that we have chosen. Not, it's not, I didn't invent AI. You didn't invent it. In actuality, if you go research it, there's lots of people that are contributing to this building of AI. It's a lot of us are doing this. Uh, a lot of us are pushing in different directions and learnings and so forth. So it's, uh, we are all contributing to, to this system. Uh, so are we collectively going in a predefined direction? It's, at times, it seems like a five-year-old game of soccer. That everybody, you've seen soccer as in five-year-olds, everybody runs after the ball and they're going in that direction and then somebody shoots it out and everybody comes over here and everybody goes. At times it seems like that. Now it's politics or it's uh, nationalism or it's, uh, uh, or it's COVID or it's something. But at the end of the day, uh, here's what's happening. Those kids are growing up and their muscles are and they're better athletes and they're going to learn and they're going to learn and they're learning. And 10 years fast forward, they're pretty good soccer players. Most of them who want to continue to play although the game seemed messy at the time. So the games will seem messy, in my opinion, in the next 20, 30 years. It's like, I, I don't know what happens 10 years from now. I know there will be a lot more technology. I know a lot of people will lose their jobs. I know they have to accept this change. I know, I know a lot of those things, and I can see the writing on the wall. When people are laying off, well, companies like Ford have spent $11 billion investing in technology and transformation from not today, from four or five years ago. This is not, again, this is not a COVID thing. It's been happening. No, it's just expedited the process where I see the layoffs all over the place or people aren't going back, I can see the writing on the wall that unless we get with it, unless we find a different way collectively, then we're going to be, and this is the painful meanwhile, as Lyndon Johnson was saying it, there is, there is stuff that's going to happen that is not necessarily pleasant. The question is, what do we collectively do to get past that point? Now, I would think that, and, and I use I, I I say this with with kind of a you know you always hate to uh, to sound like a you know a pompous guy who's predicting the, <laughs> the the evolution of the world but I think 
2020 has ended an era of physical evolution. And starting 2021, we have begun our mental evolution. This is our mind shift. We, and how long would it take? I don't know. It'll take probably hundreds of years. But we have replaced and used technology to get rid of a lot of stuff that our mind was bogged down with. So there is capacity that's opening up for us to be more creative, more innovative, to, to not focus. And someday, perhaps, we won't focus on making a daily living. Because the machines are doing it. They're providing for us. I don't need to go out and work for all this time. Now, would that happen tomorrow? Absolutely not. Is that a socialist perspective? I don't think so. I think it's fully capitalistic. That is, let's put the, let's put the resources to work to serve us. Every capitalist wants to do that. You know, you get a better car, better this, better that. So it's... It's not a socialistic perspective. It's the ultimate capitalism, which says everybody is doing well. It's not me against you. So uh, I think 100, 200, 300 years from now, we would have an evolution of mindset. How quickly we'll get there has a lot to do with how quickly we learn the, the, the rules of the game or we adopt or we, we, we don't start pushing back. I don't think it would happen uh, that often. Uh, I mean, the, the, the writing is on the wall. Some of the people are, you know, against it. Some are saying, why is this happening? This is because Chinese. This is because uh, we're finding somebody to blame because we're out of our comfort zone. So do you think we, do you think we have to, 200 years? Yeah. Let's say you're right that we are in this mental shift, but uh, there are a lot of people saying that there are pressing global problems and issues, you know, environment, pandemics, all of these issues. Do we have 200 years to... to Trant, those are exactly the pains that you were talking about. Those are the pains that at some point when we see it's enough of a pain, we'll go after solving it. For some people, it's not a pain yet. Right. When it becomes a pain, we will solve it. That is the, that is the fundamental belief that I have, faith I have in humanity. We will solve it when it becomes a pain. Now, for some people, it's an illusion of a pain. It's like if I tell you, Tron, this hemophilia is really bad, man. When I am painful, I can't walk. It's, you say, oh, okay. Yeah, you may talk about it. You may tell other people, oh, this guy said I met, he has a lot of pain, but you haven't right. felt it. You have not felt it. You will solve it when you have a pain. You'll get on the board. And that's what it takes time. On that note, Sid, I think um, you've given a lot of people something to think about. Um, I will continue thinking about what listening to the guru near you actually means uh, for me because it's a, it's a big challenge. And I think saying that mindfulness is a shortcut or kind of a, a blind path is also something that people need to <laughs> consider very carefully. Anyway, the so let me challenge you with something, sure. Trent. Do me yep. this favor. Uh, when you when you experience this this uh, this this uh, the guru near you idea, uh, and I'm asking your listeners to do the same thing with you. Send you an email. Send me an email and say today. I saw something out there. It could be anything. It could be the, the way you look at the weather. It could be somebody says something to you. It could be a smile. It could be a fighting. It could be an accident. It could be something. And say, I learned something today. Let's try this and see if we can, if we can actually report to each other. I will do that, Sid. Thanks for the challenge.
It was great to have you, thank you. and uh, thank you so much. Good, good, great conversation. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. You pushed, you, th- you taught me how to think uh, beyond, uh, beyond what I was thinking before. Like the pain idea was absolutely new idea for me. <laughs> well, I'm glad we can all learn thank from you for each that. other, Sid. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you, John. You have just listened to episode 39 of the Futurized podcast with host Trun Arne Unheim, futurist and author. The topic was the future of flux. Our guest was Sid Mohasab, author, investor, professor, and known as the entrepreneur philosopher. In this conversation, we talked about the future of flux, entrepreneurial philosophy, personalizing your journey, listening to the guru near you, evolve like a caterpillar again and again. My takeaway is that the deepest motivation behind entrepreneurship is to seek happiness. We can only learn if we are open to the possibility of learning everywhere around us. Anybody or anything could be the source of the final spark that leads to lasting insight. But we have to stay alert and we need to be ready for the reality of change, whether it be rapid or slow. Like the caterpillar, we might evolve significantly if we put in the effort see and capture our moment. Thanks for listening. If you liked the show, subscribe at futurized.co or in your preferred podcast player and rate us with five stars. Futurized, preparing you to deal with disruption.